Hello and welcome to Sporting Directors Corner here on Get Football Plus, where we aim to look at football in the context of sporting directors, delve that little bit deeper into this multifaceted role and its impact within football across the globe. As always, my name is Shay Lash. I'm the COO at Get Football Group and I'll be your host today. And David, always a pleasure to have you on. How are you? I'm well, Shay Lash. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing very well. Uh, I enjoyed our conversation last time. And for those that didn't listen, we were talking um, about Manchester United and some of the, I guess, things in the spotlight with regards to that particular football club um, and some of the, you know, the fascinating I guess, business problems we talked about as well as some of the individuals and structures that they have in place. So if you've not had a chance to listen to that, then, you know, I would recommend you just go back. You'll see... Uh, a link in the show notes to all of our podcasts and uh, we really hope you enjoyed that one but today David we're gonna you know we're kind of in that halfway house between the summer transfer window ending and the January transfer window approaching and everyone's kind of building themselves up probably into a bit of a frenzy but what we wanted to talk a little bit about today was big transfers so I guess my first question to you David is when you hear the word or term big transfers what do you think and what do you think that looks like from a sporting director's point of view? Yes, uh, good question. What I, when I hear big transfer or um, uh, here we go from Fabrizio Romano, what, what, I, what I think about more so than anything is uh, I'm going to call, and I know this isn't for everybody, but I, I think a process, right? Because at the end of the day, you can't get a signing over the line unless you go through the steps. And those steps are different and the same. So how you do anything, how you do any transfer is how you do all your transfers. Not in a literal sense, but you have to have, you have to have, I'm going to call it due diligence. You need to do your background checks. You need to do your, your data, your analytical checks. You need to make sure that playing style matches. You, you know, all these things that are, I hope, at most clubs, uh, consistent, uh, you have you have a, a process, and I'm going to call it a, a rhythm or a timeline of getting those um, Declan Rices or Jude Bellinghams or uh, for the ninth summer in a row, killing and Bop, and no, I'm kidding. But, uh, you know, you, you have to have a, you have to have an idea of how it's supposed to be so that you can be prepared for the inevitable, um, uh, let's call it curveballs or hiccups. Yeah, no, I, that makes sense. I mean, you mentioned a couple of names there, David. So, I mean, let's let's delve right into it. So, what if I, you know, last summer there were two big transfers, well, two of many. You know, we had Jude Bellingham go to Real Madrid. We had Harry Kane went to Bayern Munich. Two big money transfers. Um, but very different types of players, players at two two ends of their, I guess, age profiles. But for the clubs or for the sporting directors, you know, forget the price tag. What do you think those sporting directors or those clubs are looking at when they're bringing in players like this? I mean, it's like you said before we started recording, it's more of a project. But I'm just trying to understand what, what, what do you think that project looks like for each of those players at each of those clubs, I guess, as an example? So any, I mean... To me, that's the question, right? Because you want, as a club, as a director, you want to get to a point where you have that uh, that mythical last piece of the puzzle, right? 
And I'm not saying any of those players are in a, in a general sense. Um, it's just more so a concept. Uh, but when you, when you look at uh, the, the most, I'm going to use the word consistent and consistent is, is, is funny. You say consistent, consistent isn't always consistent uh, when you use the word. But when you look at the most consistent clubs at the top of the football food chain, we'll just use the Real Madrid example. They do, they do the same things all the time. It's just couched in with the details and the drama of the ups and downs of the calendar or the season, right? So what has Real Madrid done in the last, let's call it 21 days? They've renewed everybody that they care about to a degree, right? Camavinga, Valverde, um, you know, Go, Rodrigo, uh, you know, it, it, it's not um, it's not by chance. It's it's a way of killing. And, and this is my wording here. It's a way of killing news ahead of time. Right. Because when you have, say, the signing of Endrick that is coming, I believe it's next summer, if I remember correctly. Um, you want, as a director, you want as much as is possible to control the narrative because that, that's the unspoken um, reality, right? When I talk about communication, especially for managers, and you see it with the good ones, the high-performing the high managers, they have three main audiences, okay? Um, and this is the same thing for directors as, to, uh, as well. And it might even be more impactful because they don't talk as much openly. So how they communicate when they communicate is important. So you have three main audiences. You have obviously the supporters. Okay, I mean, you always want to project optimism and some level of balance, whatever that balance is, uh, you know, whether it's just, this is a great transfer, this is a player that we've been, you know, recruiting or, or monitoring for a while. You have that level, you can even go the more hyperbolic route and say this is the last piece of the puzzle this is the person who we expect to help us get um into um you know let's just say last eights in champions league or win the league that's the first audience first audience is supporters you want to be optimistic and you want to reaffirm identity as much as is possible because if you don't reaffirm your club identity it's going to be interesting to, to be so much sarcastic. It's going to be interesting when things don't go right and you don't have an identity that you attri attributed that transfer to, right? Uh, an opportunity is not an opportunity for your club unless that opportunity lines up with your identity. At least that's how you want to talk to the supporters. The second, uh, the second audience is the, um, let's just call the other key decision makers. So, if you're a director, it's the ownership, the board, the chairman, whatever that ownership structure or leadership structure is at that club or in that league, you want to com uh, communicate solidarity and consistency. Um, one of the most important thing for business owners, um, those who basically uh, take all the responsibility, when I say responsibility, read debt, D-E-B-T, <laughs> read debt heavily into that. You want to communicate consistent trains of thought, consistent uh, decision-making, and consistent, uh, I'm going to call it ambition. You want to make sure that you are consistent because if you're not, it's going to be held against you when things go sideways. Okay, So that's the second audience. The third audience to me is the most important audience, and that's the players. It's one thing to make decisions in a boardroom. It's one thing to make decisions um, 
you know, with, with marketing or streaming rights or licensing, that's, I mean, that, that, those are, those are hard. Um, and those are important, but if you can't get the main, uh, decision makers on the pitch for the on-pitch performance, the most important part of a club, if you can't get them to buy in to the project, then you're at best spinning your wheels. So when you look at Real Madrid re-signing the core, their midfield core, it's strategic. Yes, it communicates value. Yes, it communicates um, consistency. But above all else, uh, Florentino is telling his, his young stallions, this is your show, okay? Because if you look at if you look at those signings, those those extensions, what you see also, if you read between the lines, Kroos, Tony Kroos, Luka Modric, their time is winding down. And I'm not saying that negatively or positively, but you want to usher in uh, continuity, and sometimes that is in focusing on a different aspect of the project. So those are the three audiences audiences that. You want to make sure as a director, um, managers do it. The good ones do it. Jose Mourinho does it. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti does it. Klopp does it. Guardiola does it. I mean, I could say, say more um, obscure managers, but that's for a different conversation. But you, those are your three audiences, and you always want to communicate to the changing room most uh, emphatically and most clearly. So- so, David, you mentioned those three audiences there, and I guess when we're talking about a transfer, which what or I, what you said order of importance, but if we talked about a timeline of some of these things, what order do you think they would come in? I mean, obviously, the fans, I'm assuming, would be last because they're the last ones to know, or maybe they're not. I don't know, but I'm just curious: is is a sporting director lining these things up, kind of like a project plan for this transfer? I think you can. I, de- I definitely think you can. And as much as is possible, you should. However, what you always want to do, one of the most instructional concepts, it's a quote, but it's one of the most instructional concepts uh, for me in my formative understanding of decision making and football leadership. And I forget the name of the title of the book, uh, but it's um, it's Arsene, Arsene Wenger's uh, auto. Well, let's just call it a biography. Um forget the name of the author as well but he essentially said this was before uh french players were coming in en masse to the premier league he's uh, arson basically said the best way to make a young player better is to bring in another very good young player right I, i'm paraphrasing i'm probably not putting a, as much emphasis on the court as possible but you you want to make sure that the players are comfortable and and are not surprised by what is happening like that is um i mean it i I wish that there was a uh public use case uh that wasn't too far in the past in the past i mean i don't think you could do it in real time but i wish there was a public use case of say uh the leaders of a dressing room learning that they're getting a you know a high high performing high impact player and what that does for them because it's going to question, they're going to automatically question, okay, well, what's my worth? Yeah, you're bringing in Declan Rice, but what's my worth? You know, if, if he plays the same position as me, is that a threat? Is this, does this bring us closer to our stated goals of winning the Premier League? How does that factor into rotations? You know, there's so many questions that your top performers need to be 
uh, I'm going to use the word comforted with your answers, that you want to make sure that you line up as much as is possible, not in a manipulative way, but you line up the communication to them first. Because if they find out via social media or Fabrizio Romano that something's happening and they don't hear from you, it's not that it's good or it's bad. But again, the, the best directors, the best leaders, whether manager, director, player, whatever, they do their best to control the narrative when they can. Not to be manipulative, but to be strategic. Oh, that, 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 that makes sense for sure. Um, going back to just that one, that one question, uh, that one point that you made about Real Madrid and, and their identity and ensuring that that transfer kind of links in with that identity. Where do you think the market is kind of going, David? I mean, like, you know, Real Madrid back in, I guess, the early 2000s, it was all about Galacticos, right? It was all about big money for, I guess, prime time players, right? But now it feels like actually what you're actually buying is is big talent, right? And it's not necessarily, a, and the price tag will come with it, but that's an art, that's just a consequence of the fact that our identity now is talent. Do you think Real Madrid's identity is more talent? And do you think most clubs are trying to do that? I know Arsenal buying young, lots of different teams are now trying to buy young. So is it more of a talent side when you're talking about big transfers as opposed to a money side? That's a great question. I, I think that there's there's always going to, there, there always needs to be a blend um, where you are seeing Real Madrid Real Madrid is at, I know people are going to hate me saying this, but Real Madrid is at the vanguard of the best, in my opinion, the best way of doing it. You find that young talent faster, sooner than everybody else, and you find a way to secure it. They have financial means to do it, you know, in bigger markets like, say, Brazil or Spain or, um, well, France, all of France, <laughs> you know, uh, they're, they're, they have an ability to secure that talent financially ahead of everybody else in more competitive markets, but they're doing it early. There's, it's a completely different proposition to sign uh, David Beckham or Ronaldo or Roberto Carlos at, you know, age 28, 29. You're paying full value for past perfor- uh, performance, right? But if you look at Real, so the thing about Real Madrid that is just diabolical, and again, I, I understand that they're not for everybody, um, is that they, they've done it both ways. It's just now the blend is less so on proven talent um, as far as uh, what they, they outlay spend-wise, but they're, they've, they've always been keen to get the young talent. You have Roberto Carlos. Who do you buy from Fluminense You know, way back in the mid-2000s? Marcelo, right? And you had to find a way to, to vet and to blood that young talent with the current talent to have the continuity and to have the, I'm going to call it the unspoken, the modeled leadership that only players can give to other players. So to answer your question directly, as is my way uh, indirectly, uh, <laughs> you, you know, it, it, it is always going to be about talent. It's just when are you going to pay for it? Like, are you paying for the potential? Or are you paying for the past performance? Um, I would say that the smart way to do it is to go in the direction of the Red Bull, you know, Red Bull Salzburg, Real Madrid, FC Northland, um, Brighton, 
you, you're Brentford. You're, you're taking players that um, are still on the uh, ascendancy, and you're paying. You're, you're even overpaying a little bit uh, up front so that you can have a piece of that talent on its way up, and then you let the bigger clubs or the bigger, um, let's call it market forces, um, drive up the revenue of, sorry, the value, the value of that player. And you you cash in when you cash in. But at the same time, um, the irony, the irony of what I just said is that that is what uh, the uh, private equity and, and the, the, the Todd Bowles of the world are doing with clubs. You find a way to get an asset, a talented club or a talented player or a dormant club with a storied history at a lower price or a decent price, a competitive price. And then you make that 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 player, that asset, that club more efficient, i.e. read more profitable. And then you let market forces drive up the the value, the, the perceived value of that club player asset. It, it's really a it's a simple playbook, but. To be very good at it, there has to be a level of discipline that is not consistent in world football. Yeah, no, that it's interesting you mentioned the Todd Bowley thing. I mean, it, it reminds me a lot of when you when you look at just just going on the on the business side. You know, how do you grow a business fast? Right, either you have a product that you're able to nurture, or you buy other small businesses or things that can supplement you and not um, conflict, and then your your asset grows. And your revenue grows and everything grows alongside it. So it feels like what Chelsea have done, what maybe what Madrid, they're buying lots of little small businesses in terms of these players. And I don't mean to dehumanize the players at all, but it feels very much like that. And then I guess is that do you think? I mean, when you're when you buy a player like Jude Bellingham, Erling Haaland, you know, it feels like a small business, right? I mean, they come with a lot of stuff. It's not just you're not just buying. Is that is that what you think they have to do? Think of it that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is 100% it. And you have to be careful to not, um, just, as you said, you want to be careful to not dehumanize yeah, uh, the player. Um, however, that is, it, it very much is a, a small operation, a small entity that you are, um, you, you're taking in on as a bigger entity, right? So way back when we talked about uh, uh, the, the Rabio family, right? And the, pro mm. the project is important because the project, the project only has worth if it makes the player more valuable. That's it, right? Like that, that, that like, and, and value is, is defined in different ways. The value could be Champions Leagues. Value could be sell-on value. Value could be um, national team selections. Uh, value is defined by that player, by that club in its own context. So let's not get too caught up in, in what that means. But, you know, the, the, the other irony. Um, so I talked about that uh, seminal uh, Arsene Wenger quote that I shared about just you put you, you put talent with talent. Right. To make it grow. Right. The other aspect of, uh, you know, you you taking on these um, these good players that are young. Is that once you realize that they, if you're honest, they don't need you. They don't need your club, right? I mean, they could get paid and, and do well at probably, they probably have three other solid options, right? Until you realize what is the best arc for everybody. 
and that goes back to um, a Ralph Ragnick quote. Um, he was in a um, he said it different ways, um, but he was it, it was a on, on YouTube, and he was talking to a it was a non football um, based interview. Uh, I think it was like a mastermind or whatever. And the interviewer basically asked him, like, you know, Ralph, what what sets you apart? What has worked so well at Red Bull? And he, in so many words, said, you know, Red Bull uh, Salzburg specifically is a service based operation. And it's not in a sense that we have great facilities or, you know, we feed the players good food, but we service the athletes. We find a way to make that player better. Like universally. So if they don't learn it, they don't know English and they're coming from West Africa, how do we teach them English in a way that is uh, conducive for their, from them to pick it up? Oh, if they're from Japan or Africa and they miss their food, you know, their, their cuisine, how do we find a way, what restaurants, what connection, what families in Salzburg can we connect them with to feed them their uh, cuisine? Right. And these are things that are so, um, they're, they're, they're invisible until you see a potential player um, of a certain level not perform, right? So last, I think we talked about, um, we talked about um, the post I did with Chuba Akpom at Ajax and how he was living in a hotel and hadn't settled. The irony is that I think one of the low-key toughest places to play uh, uh, club football is the Netherlands. I mean, everybody's a former pro and everybody has an opinion and everybody has a podcast, uh, <laughs> which is interesting. Right. And uh, Dick Advocat, who is I mean, he's very, very long tenure manager, um, very successful. Uh, he basically and you don't know the, 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 the details behind the scenes or the relationship or lack thereof between players. Um, but he basically said, well, he's a, he's a seasoned pro, you know, he, he should, he should know what living is like in a hotel or, or this, that, and the other. I think that's very insensitive only in the sense that, um, however you've, however you, as a player, whatever you've performed, um, level wise or output wise in the past is not an indicator of what you're going to do in your next season or let alone next club in the next country. Very much to your point, like a stock, right? There, yeah. There's there's so many factors that go into performance that as a director, whether it's a, a big, massive trans- transfer like Erling Holland or Declan Rice or Moises Caicedo or, or whatever, you, you want to make sure that you get as much of it right that you can control as possible. And the biggest first domino to get right is your communication of that said transfer especially the big ones especially the big ones you do not want uncertainty you know that that's the, one of the most unspoken un 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 unrespected is that a word or disrespect there we go disrespected realities is that um one of one, <laughs> and Fabrizio Romano hopefully doesn't hate me for saying it one of the things that he preys on with his with his tweets and his here we goes is uncertainty. I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just calling. It's just an observation, right? So whether he's right or he's wrong, whether he's first or he's last, it, do, it doesn't matter. That uncertainty is important as a director in house to keep constant and consistent communication, obviously with your players, um, but with everybody 
those three audiences, the supporters, um, it's called the changing room. We'll, we'll keep the changing room just for, for simplicity. Changing room as players and backroom staff and first team manager, and then other leadership uh, slash ownership, owner or chairmen of the board. You want to keep them in the loop because if they don't know and they, you know, God forbid, get uh, a microphone is stuck in their face in Ibiza and they say something that <laughs> isn't on brand, that is a whole nother problem, right? So, I, I mean, I hope, I hope, I mean, that was kind of very wide ranging, but like there's a theme constant communication and constant discipline in how you communicate decision making from top to bottom. That uh, makes sense. I mean, you know, when, when, you, when you're parting with that kind of um, not necessarily money, but time and effort and resource to bring in players, fundamentally, you want to give them every ingredient so that they can perform right that's the fundamental number one i would have thought how can we get them to perform to the maximum that we believe they have but just going back to um not going back to but talking a bit more about the actual sporting director role david and when we when we think of a big transfer like you know Jude bellingham declan rice you know harry kane what kind of characteristics do you think these sporting directors need to have to be able to execute a transfer like that um, and, you know, I'm going to put you on the spot here because you've profiled so many directors. Do you want to name drop a, a couple that you think are really well suited to it, either past or present? Well, it, it's very, I mean, I'll na- I'm always welcome. To- I know your name drop. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I name drop all the time. Uh, not not for me, but just to prove that it's, it's, it's out in the wild. It's doable. It, it's definitely uh, repeatable. Um, I, to answer your question about the actual like function or operation, uh, and like to to me, it's it's almost like you have to see yourself as the MC of an event. Um, it, that is a little bit extreme, but you have to have you have to communicate an energy and an ambition that is nonverbal. But then, obviously, you know, if you're bringing in Declan Rice, you know, you can't be like, okay, today the club has. Uh, come to terms with that. you can't do that you cannot do that right um and, and i'm not saying that you can't do that in in all situations it's just initially there has to be an energy that is um compelling right uh i'm very 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 uh, envious of how uh, well envious is not the right word um it, it's impressive what real madrid does with with their players I mean, yes, they sign them. You see them do whatever initial, um, you know, walk into the club, this, that, and the other. They'll have that. But they always have a formal presentation. And they always stand next to Florentino with all the Champions Leagues, right? All the trophies. Everybody is in the black tux, tux or suit and black tie. Everybody looks the same but looks amazing, Right. Because they are setting the tone. They are communicating, this is our standard. And as cookie cutter as it is, it is very much, you know, if you're, if you're 10, 11, 12 years old and you're really, really good, say like, you know, you're Jude Bellingham um, and you're in the UK and you're playing, that's a club that you want to be at that signing. In fact, FIFA, a football manager, they glorify it, right? That, that's mm. kind of the, the model for signing um, making a big signing. 
other clubs do it differently and they do it in a way that is more um, a part of their identity. But when I look at uh, the, the, the directors that have it down, Simon Rolfs at Bayer Leverkusen, it, he has perfected the art of being present, but then being behind the scenes, right? So whether it's Victor Boniface signing or Xabi Alonso signing uh, or uh, you know, presentation, he, you see him there, but he's not the star. Right. So going back to that MC, um, you know, illustration, you want to be an ever present, but you don't want to be a dominating, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to call it, I'll call it a cloud. Like you, you, you don't you want to be seen, but you don't want to be overheard. You don't want to be uh, too, too powerful. You want to let that piece, that player, that manager, that signing, that development be the story. Uh, so Simon Rolfus is is a very good one. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's one of my favorites, so I, I try not to say it too much. But um, uh, Jesper Fredberg at RSC Anderlecht, I mean, he made some moves uh, right at the end of the window that were very um, big for that club as far as getting them to a place of, okay, Anderlecht might be back as far as being a, a, a big player uh, in Belgium, right? And he, he, again, is another one that he communicates ambition, but he lets, <clears throat> excuse me, he lets the player, he lets the manager, he lets the, the, the hope. In Spanish, there's a, a word, it's probably my fa- favorite word in Spanish football, and it's ilusión, illusion. Um, it, it's that hope of what can be attained if we get, the piece is right. It's what the managers, what um, Diego Simeone, it's what uh, Xavi, it's what they harp on. We have to have illusion. We have to have hope of doing it our way. And the good directors have a way of communicating that, but not, um, I'm going to call it uh, shouting it. It's interesting, actually, those directors that you just mentioned, because I guess this goes back to a point that we we talked about before. You know, a big transfer doesn't necessarily mean big money, right? These these guys that you've just mentioned, they are having big transfers in their club to take that club to a different place. I think, and it's not always, I guess, uh, judged by the amount of money you spend. Um, is that fair? Do you think? I think it's one hundred percent fair. If you're a smart club. You don't, I say smart, that's probably not the best word. If you're a club that is that is taking advantage of opportunities as they present themselves in a manner that you can take on, not every player is going to be, dare I say, um, they're, they're, not every player is going to have a transfer fee, right? Some of them are going to be free. Some of them are going to be, uh, dare I say, promoted from within. Um, th- there's so many different details that make it to where it's not as cut and dry as, you know, oh, our data said this and that. I mean, that's fine. But like uh, when I think of and it's not necessarily a big transfer um, in the sense that we're talking about, but it's big for that club. When you look mm-hmm. at Union Berlin and their signing of uh, Leonardo Bonucci, that's a massive signing for, for Union Berlin. Massive signing. How much do they pay for him? Zero past wages, right? Zero, right? 
But then if you or if you rewind back to, I think, is the winter transfer window, um, it went all wrong with them trying to sign Isco, right? So to your point, it's not about it's not about size or sorry, it's not about amount of the potential transfer. It's really about going back to what you said previously. How much potential is that small business, that small player mm-hmm. or that that player? How, how much potential does that player have? in your setup that is what is the catalyst yeah i mean do do you think directors i guess uh judge themselves on you know is is it one of the things on their checklist of things i want to achieve as a as a sporting director to have a hundred million pound transfer or is it something else like they judge themselves on how much have I transformed this club from where I started to where it's gone to. Because it sometimes feels to me like the the fall from a hundred million pound transfer is a lot bigger than the rise that you could potentially have for a sporting director. When you, if that makes sense. When you say fall, do you what, do you mean like if it goes? I, yeah, like you 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 know you're done. You're not done, but it's like it's a real black mark against you. Oh, here, he's the guy that brought a hundred million pound guy in, and he was rubbish. And and look at the state of that club now. Do, do, do you know what I mean? They associate it with with the person a little bit. Um, it's a fair question. I, I, I mean, but maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe it's more with the club. But you know how fans are, right? And I'm a fan, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, what I would say it's a fair question. What what I would say is, and this is where. Uh, you know, you have you have to you have to be wired slightly different than a supporter. Um, but yeah. uh, Moises Caicedo doesn't think about him being a hundred and whatever million euro transfer. He knows that there's pressure on him, and he might have family that tells him. He might read a headline or two from the Sun or the Mirror. Right? It's possible, but that doesn't. Um, so hopefully this is the, this doesn't turn into a super long rant, but. Um, it's possible. Here we are. Um, the directors are oftentimes former players. And the thing about former players or players in general that we don't appreciate um, as uh, civilians is that they are mentally not like us. They don't work a nine to five. They like as far as mentality, they don't t- they don't have an off switch. So that one percent or half of one percent of them succeeding from the the barrios of ecuador or um you know overcoming the odds and, and poverty and, and you know violence in the you know in, in brazil or in liverpool or whatever what have you you can't turn that off so yes yes they there, there is a um there, there is a accountability for coming good but you don't you don't think about um, it's not your responsibility what somebody pays for you like you know or pays for your services. There is a hundred percent denial of details as far as I'm good at what I do as long as I'm confident and I'm comfortable and I'm given the resources and the players and the teammates and a good manager and a, a good playing style. I can do what I do even better. It's delusional at times, but that's how they're wired as players. Now, directors are slightly more removed from the actual um, moving parts as far as being able to do it themselves. So to answer your question, I don't I mean, I don't know. Everybody's different. Uh, But I would say if you're a director, you're most likely you're trying to build. I'm not saying you're a builder, but you're trying to build a project. 
So the the last piece of the puzzle, especially in today's game, there's only I mean I don't think there's ten clubs that can really swing a hundred million dollar transfer, right? Like yep. there's really not that many, right? So maybe the 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 correct way of looking at it with that same ambition is how how many how many transfers do I need to make to get us to our destination? I said it in our last conversation, the unspoken fear, this is my opinion, but the unspoken fear of every single director is will I have enough time to do what I know I can do with the resources at hand? And I think to a man, the answer is probably not. Probably not. So if the answer is probably not, how do we get closer to buying time, right? And that is that is the rub. These transfers are ways of buying time to success. So if you purchase Jude Bellingham for 100 million euros, if you purchase Erling Holland, what like why are you purchasing him so that you can continue the project? So Manchester City, Real Madrid, Arsenal continuing a project is completely different than Union Berlin continuing their project, right? From price tag to performance. So we we can't we can't always judge a director uh, fairly or unfairly. We can't always judge them on transfers. We have to judge them on results over time. And that is, it's fair, it's, <laughs> it's fair, but it's unfair because that is what they're effectively judged on. I mean, if you were to tell me who's the best sporting director currently, I would say without even looking, you know, without even having to think about it, I said, whoever's been sitting in the chair the longest, you know why? Because they're meeting results, they're meeting demand, and that in and of itself is is obscene. Yeah, I mean, I wonder who that person is. Actually, it's probably one for us to look up. Um, but Andrea Bert, it's it's. Sorry, said that again. I said Andrea Bertas at Real Madrid. But I, anyway, I mean, I, I'm I'm half joking. But there's there's guys, there's guys. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. I mean, I think just just the one last question, David. Um, you know, what do you think some of the knock-on effects are for what, for some of these, like you know, especially big money transfers or big personality transfers? And and I don't just mean um, I, I'm trying to look at it from a sporting director's perspective because it's something that they probably need to think about when they actually execute on a transfer. But then also, how do they kind of keep a spotlight or an eye on these things to understand what these knock-on effects could be, good and bad, I guess. Well. Uh... To me, when I hear knock-on effects, I hear, quite frankly, uh, you, your your project is either moving in a positive direction or it's being distracted. And usually, a some of the, the signs, the telltale signs of um, positive knock-on effects are, quite frankly, boost in morale, boost in ticket sales, boost in, let's just call it hope, Right. Um, mm-hmm. Those are things that are somewhat intangible. I mean, past ticket sales, you know, subscribers, mm-hmm. things of that nature. Uh, but what you're going to see in knock-on effects is you're going to see the players. Because to me, it always begins and ends with the player. If you're a director and you can protect and, and and dare I say, push your players in a manner that is constructive, they will take care of the results for you. So one of those knock-on effects it's not necessarily 
I mean, yes, wins are, are very important. Um, however, there is even more solidarity within that first team. The coaching staff, the backroom staff, there's, there's more solidarity. Um, there, you, you start to see whether it's the players and or uh, management start to say the same things the same way. And it, it is very much um, intangible at the start. But as it grows, as it continues, you start to see that the results are matching up, right? So um, I think if, if you look if you look at uh, or if you read between the lines on, say, um, what Jack Grealish has said or John Stones has said in the past two or three seasons with, with how Pep Guardiola has talked to them, even Erling Holland, what you start to see is this, I'm not going to call it sus- suspicion, but they wonder, is he that good? Like, I came here, obviously, to do big things, but is he that good? What you start to see as a knock-on effect is that there is confirmation and utter utter buy-in. I don't know if that's the right way of saying it, but there is buy-in in totality to the goal. And that, I know it's not a, a hard answer for you, but if the players are bought in, it's so much easier when you have the next Jude Bellingham, you have the next Erling Holland, or you know, for the eighth summer in a row, you you want to sign Kylian Mbappe. It's not going to be management that that sways him. I mean, to a degree, you know, compensation package will will persuade players, but it's or sorry, uh, persuade uh, transfers. But it's going to be other players in that changing room when he asks them. Hey, what is it really like at Real Madrid, mate? And they're going to tell him. Hmm. They're going to tell him. It's not going to be, and it's not going to be there's anything uh, profound or different than what has been told. But if a peer who you see and who you envy his, and I say envy in a, in a positive sense, um, if you see Luka Modric and you play center mid and you're Eduardo Camavinga, you say, you know, Luka, what is it really like? A Ballon d'Or winner. I think, I mean, Luca's won at least two or three Champions Leagues, um, if I can recall. Um, mm. If you ask him, what is it really like with Florentino? What is it really like in Madrid? And he tells you, and you don't want that? That I mean, I'm not saying you know that in a bad way. And you don't want what he said? You are going to value what he said over what Florentino tells you, over what Carlo Ancelotti tells you. Not because Luca is better or smarter, but Luca is in your position. Like Luca is literally in your position. He'll tell you if it's totally terrible, <laughs> you know, and players are smart. They're smart. They're more social animals and academic, smart, um, technical wizards at times. They're not just going to ask Luca. They're going to ask Tony Kroos. They're going to ask, an, you know, Antonio Rudiger. They're going to ask Venetia. They're going to ask all of their mates. And then they're going to ask all their friends, all their mates at other clubs. What's it like playing against Madrid? What do you see? What do you like? Let's be very clear. One transfer, no matter if it's free, no matter if it's 200 billion euros, like these players do their due diligence for them. It may not be uh, forensic on the level of, you know, uh, the British military. Um, it might not be on that level, but they know who to talk to to get inside knowledge about what is happening inside a given club. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great way to end it, actually, David. You know, because you, you're right. 
you know, there is the other side to the transfer and it's the player, right? And and his his team or party who are looking at the club and the sporting director is obviously, I don't know, maybe he's teeing up these these other players to say the right things or not say the right things, but we know that, that you know, that that's probably never going to happen. You know, players will say what they say. Um, but David, listen, what, what a fascinating conversation, you know, and I think um, it's really going to be interesting to to see how the, the term big transfer evolves over 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 time, I guess, because it's not just about the money. And hopefully we you know, have given some insights into why that is not the case and, you know, debunk that that a little bit, you know, because there are so many more factors at play um, when we talk about what a big transfer actually means to a club um, or, you know, or a person or a, or a league. So, but on, on that note, David, you know, we'll close this conversation off. And um, as always, you know, I'll put David's uh, Twitter handle in the show notes. He puts out some, you know, some really interesting and really insightful um, tweets on on sporting directors, managers, players, just football in general. So please keep an eye out for that and give him a follow. And and you know, please keep an eye on our Get Football Media outlets as well, where we cover European and world European football and world football. You know, with news, videos, opinions from some of the most plugged in analysts across the football landscape. Again, I'll put a link in the show notes for that also. And lastly, and as always, we just want to really, really thank you for for being here with us and, and listening. You know, give us a five star rating. You know, send us some feedback, any questions that you may want answered in the future episodes. You know, and we'll hopefully we'll see you on the next one. Have a great day. 